Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's November 19th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Andrew Egger and Haley Bird of the Weekly Standard. Short week with Thanksgiving. I think we might actually make it there. By the way, Haley, I don't know whether you actually heard the podcast in which Andrew described how as an eight-year-old child, he had the experience of cutting the head off of a chicken. Oh, I did not hear that. I would it's, love um, to hear that again, though. Yeah, you need to go back and hear that. I'm, I'm, I'm still a little bit haunted by that. Yeah, I don't but, know if we can uh, flick that on our, on our uh, listeners in back-to-back podcasts. But <laughs> yes, hello, it's me, the chicken slaughterer again, coming <laughs> to your car radios and living rooms. It was the eight-year-old thing, though, and the, and the way you described it in great detail. So we, 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 we won't go into all that. It does occur to me, and I, I guess I go through this mental exercise all the time. You know, on Earth 2.0, in an alternative reality that is not Trumpian. You know, what would be the big story? What would we be talking about? And to, it it seems that we would be. I just have a theory that we would be riveted uh, on that New York courtroom where El Chapo is on trial. I mean, this is Mexican narcos. It, it's like it's like the Netflix series come to life. It's an amazing story, and yet we almost don't have the the, the bandwidth to handle it. You, you overusing that uh, that that term. So let's just jump in. The president gave a. Uh, but I thought it was a fascinating interview uh, to uh, to uh, um, to Fox News yesterday, and had this exchange had this exchange about uh, retired admirable admiral admirable the admirable admiral William McRaven. Here it is, Bill McRaven, retired admiral, Navy SEAL, thirty-seven years, former head of U.S. Special Operations. Hillary Clinton fan. Special Operations. Excuse me, Command, Hillary Clinton fan. Who led the operations, commanded the operations that took down Saddam Hussein and that killed Osama bin Laden, says that your sentiment is the greatest threat to democracy in his okay. lifetime. He's a Hillary Clinton uh, backer uh, and an Obama backer. And frankly, he was a Navy SEAL wouldn't it have been nice if we got Osama bin Laden a lot sooner than that? Wouldn't it have been nice? You know, living, think of this. Living in Pakistan, beautifully in Pakistan, in what I guess they considered a nice mansion. I don't know. I've seen nicer. But living in Pakistan, right next to the military academy, everybody in Pakistan knew he was there. And we give Pakistan $1.3 billion a year. And they don't tell him. They don't tell him. You're not him even going to give years. them credit for taking down bin Laden? They took him down. But look, look, there's news right there. He lived in Pakistan. We're supporting Pakistan. We're giving them $1.3 billion a year, which we don't give them anymore, by the way. I ended it because they don't do anything for us. They don't do a damn thing for us. Okay, Andrew, you want to take a shot at this? The the president of the United States uh, going after a decorated, multiply decorated um, hero, uh, a retired Navy SEAL, the man who did not have operational control over the search for Osama bin Laden, but, but was able to pull the mission off. And yet the president could not restrain himself uh, from essentially saying that, yeah, he didn't do that great a job. Yeah, I mean, like it's, you know, what 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 do you expect at this point from mm -hmm. from this guy in, in situations like this, right? I mean, it's 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 hilarious. It's it's revolting. It's all the same things that that you get in situation after situation where he's, you know, where where Trump wants to make so so sure that that all of you out there in TV world know that this guy, you know, he might have he might have gotten Osama bin Laden, but he was a Hillary Clinton fan. That's like the thing that uh, should should rank first and foremost uh, in in anyone. Which who, there's no evidence he was. Yeah, I mean, like I mean, you, just, you just say things and they enter into the the public record and they become part of the narrative and that's just sort of how he operates but it's it's this thing where i mean trump you 
anyone could have predicted this is what Trump would say. And so uh, it, when when asked something like this, and so that, that that's what's so interesting about, I, I think, sometimes these interviews with these uh, friendlier types, like obviously uh, Chris Wallace of uh, Fox is not uh, a stooge for Trump by any stretch of the imagination. No, but, no, but, but, but give but, him some tough questioning. Right, right. But but because it's Fox, Trump is willing to sort of actually like go back and forth with him and like have the argument and not just be like, you're fake news, you're a terrible person, sit down, sit down, sit down. Uh, and, and so you get these these glimpses into, you know, <laughs> what a full conversation between Trump and the press is like. And they're almost universally awful and sort of revolting in this way. And that's why they don't do them very often. Right. I mean, it's, that's what we're seeing is like, he, he just, he can't, he can't restrain himself. He can't, yeah. he can't, he can't say, look, there, there's no reason for me to take this shot. I, I gain nothing from taking this shot. It only makes me look silly and petulant uh, and sort of paranoid. Uh, but, but he's always going to take the shot because that's just who he is dispositionally. And, and, uh, you know, unfortunately it's, it's, uh, it would be more, surprising uh, if he if he were to come out ever and 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 sort of be a little bit gracious in this sort of situation be like no this guy actually is sort of a hero we are at that point where that would in fact be a little bit shocking and people are pointing out that this is part of this pattern you know you saw with john mccain kazir khan uh, Robert Mueller, uh, Gold Star families, and 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 it really has. This is it, it, it's it's no longer a glitch. It, it is a it is a feature. Any thoughts about this, Haley? I mean, I I can't disagree. It's it's just the way that the president sort of views the world in terms of um, it's it's all very personal to him. So like, if anyone has ever dared to criticize something he's done in the past, like like the Mia Love thing, um, he basically celebrated her loss and it looks like she could actually still win in her congressional district. Uh, we'll be finding that out as they continue to count, uh, count votes over there. But he, he basically sees everything as transactional and in the sense that, oh, if, if they've ever said anything criticizing me, then they're a horrible person, which is a fascinating worldview. Um, and it, it also makes it difficult to actually have like a healthy discourse with, you know, people in Congress and leaders who are able to tell him, actually, no, that you should be doing this on trade or this on national security and this on foreign policy. So it's it's not new at this point. Um, it's I can't. But, you know, it, it, it does it does strike me that this contradicts something that I a point that I had made with some confidence on this podcast last week. The one thing that that Donald Trump was pretty good at was being able to single out who he wanted to be his enemy, that he was able to you know isolate. I want to, um, you know, make the face of the Democratic Party, Maxine Waters. Uh, I want to make the face of the media, Jim Acosta. And he's pretty good at that. But in this particular case, He's terrible at it because the last person on earth that he really wants to, you know, put in juxtaposition to himself is somebody like Admiral McRaven. Well, and Charlie, I think I, I think that the the thing that that explains exactly that sort of confusion, confusing point that you're getting at is that this isn't a fight that he picked, right? This is this is something that Wallace brings up in the interview, uh, and and so you know w Wallace is essentially pushing him to extend an olive branch, and that's when Trump will often get in these sort of real, really head scratching, bad move situations because because even because oftentimes a, a, an olive branch or a gracious way out will be extended to him, and he's just dispositionally incapable of reaching out and taking that and saying. 
saying, yeah, obviously an American hero, you know, whatever else we say about him, he, he'll just never do that. So, so you wouldn't you wouldn't see, you know, this being a fight that Trump would pick initially. But the, but 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 then crucially, once this has become a controversy uh, and just just to build off what Haley was saying a little bit, um, the, the fact that that Trump in his own mind and sort of the way he approaches every day, the the media narrative and sort of the 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 headbutting that's mm-hmm. happening being like the most real thing that's happening you know for him at any given time this this now will this now becomes not just sort of a a one-off note in an interview but actually a, a fight that must be like repeatedly waged so what did we see this morning we saw uh, trump compounding this situation by getting on twitter uh, and 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 essentially picking a fight with pakistan uh, because that was like a random point he turned to in in justifying this one answer you know i'll just read a tweet real quick of course we should have captured osama bin laden long before we did i pointed him out in my book just before the attack on the world trade center uh-huh. president clinton famously missed his shot we paid Pakistan billions of dollars and they told us he was uh, they never told us he was living there. Fools. We no longer pay Pakistan the billions because they would take our money and do nothing for us. Bin Laden being a prime example, Afghanistan being another. They were just one of many countries that take from the United States without giving anything in return. That's ending. And just it's it's just amazing because this is a, this is a foreign policy that's happening right here. The president, uh, the president of the United States is making these really sort of inflammatory statements about foreign countries, whether he's right or not. You know, this is not certainly not in my wheelhouse, like the history of our relationship with Pakistan. But just the fact that it all springs from one question in a random press interview with with Chris Wallace is really remarkable and I think it says a lot about the about the way that President Trump sort of approaches his whole thing as president. Hmm. And, and today's the anniversary or we're right around the anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg address, right? I mean, hey, hey. see, you know, I tweeted out this morning uh, couldn't have fit that into uh, 28 uh, 280 characters what a, <laughs> what, a, what a loser he must be. Uh, so we're almost 2 weeks from the midterm elections and we just can't we can't let that go and uh, we finally have results in Georgia and in Florida and what uh, were uh, you had uh, democratic candidates uh, conceding that they lost the election in Georgia Stacey Abrams conceded not conceded she gave a speech in which she said that she still did not recognize she recognized that she wasn't going to be the governor but uh, pointedly said that she was not conceding because she was questioning the legitimacy of that election and uh, you really do have a chorus around the country of of folks saying that uh, there was voter suppression. So on on the right, uh, you had uh, the the president's comments about voter fraud, including people dressing up in trench coats. I don't know what they were doing, you know, and changing their clothes <laughs> and, their, and their hats and their wigs and their their glasses. And and then on the left, there is this a uh, deep seated belief in this ongoing campaign that there is a concerted campaign of of voter suppression. Uh, Weekly Standard has a very very pointed uh, editorial. Um, basically asking where's the evidence for Stacey Abrams charges and I'm going to admit the being a little bit uh, uh, a, a little bit agnostic on on all of this uh, Brian Kemp did not uh, strike me as a particularly down the middle kind of guy but given the overwhelming increase in votes I, I do think that it's fair to say that we ought to take these these charges of voter suppression with a grain of salt so if I could just uh, hop in to unpack this like a little bit, like what was specifically was going on in Georgia, the 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 thing that Abrams a- Abrams was charging uh, that 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 Brian Kemp, who is the Democratic candidate or sorry Republican candidate for governor, who's now won, he's the governor elect. Uh, the the charge was that he, as Secretary of State, who was prior prior to this, he was Georgia's Secretary of State, had had a impl- implemented essentially a purge of Georgia's voter rolls uh, and had had disenfranchised a number 
number of uh, predominantly Democratic voters by uh, striking a bunch of previously registered voters from the rolls. So they, they thought they were registered. Uh, and then they'd get to the polls. Lo and behold, uh, they, they, they were not able to vote. The problem with this uh, charge, as our editorial points out, is that you know, it, this was not a matter of discretion by Kemp in his role as Secretary of State. This was not sort of like a deliberate choice that was made. He was just implementing the, uh, you know, Georgia's voter laws, which have been in place for more than 20 years. I believe our, our editorial said that they, uh, I'll just find it real quick. I have it up. Uh, yeah, the, I'll just, re this is from the editorial. The state's use it or lose it law passed in 1997 by a Democratic legislature and signed by Democratic Governor Zell Miller requires that voters who don't vote or otherwise respond to requests from local voting offices to update their registration status be deemed inactive. This ensures that people who've died or moved away can no longer, quote unquote, vote in state elections, i.e. that their identities can't be used for untoward electoral purposes. And so the, the, the thing the Abrams campaign was arguing was that because the guy who was running for governor as a Republican was operating that, quote unquote, purge, that, that implementation of that law, uh, that that amounted to you know mass runaway voter suppression and it, it, it's I mean and, and this narrative was picked up and sort of run with in media it didn't get challenged a lot but I, I think that our our editorial does a good job of pointing out that that's you know the fact that your secretary of state uh, in a state does not preclude you from running for governor even though you know implementing the the state's current laws is still your duty as secretary of state at the time you know what I'm saying so like yeah. it, it does seem that this is a, a very overblown and it sort of is a black eye on on uh, I think major media that they have run so sort of credulously with this attack from the Abrams campaign campaign. Well, also, this is dangerous, this is a dangerous pattern of delegitimizing elections in you know particular. And I think uh, Jeremy Peters has a piece in the in the Times about uh, this, uh, that that th think think of what's going on in Florida, what happened in Florida as a dry run for 2020. And I think we probably mentioned this on the podcast. I mean, I can certainly imagine, you know, that is sort of the political Armageddon if the presidential election comes down to, you know, these charges. And if both sides in this particular case, both parties are essentially come locked and loaded with reasons to not respect the legitimacy of the election, that's going to have a blow. And that, that's, that's going to, you know, in inflict a blow on the institutional legitimacy of, you know, of, of, of frankly, of our, of our, of our democracy, of our constitutional re republic. And so I, I do think that this would be a moment and no one's going to pay any attention to what I say here, but, uh, would be a moment for some, some bipartisan, um, you know, a, a cooperation in at least assuring the public that there is some integrity in voting and that all votes are counted. There's a, there are huge stakes, but, but Haley, I'm just not sensing that we're really going to be going into an era of bipartisanship anytime soon. No, probably not. <laughs> I, I, I would like to, I think Haley, was it you who tweeted the the other day um, that was really the only sort of public figure that we've, we've really seen step up and sort of tamp down these kinds of uh, claims of, you know, election tampering and, and essentially not being a, a sore loser was Martha McSally in, in Arizona, who yeah. you know, obviously had a very tight race against Kirsten Cinema. Um, but, but, but I think, hey, I think it was you, Haley, who, who tweeted have, out. It may have been the, Charlie. What was it? Okay. Well, at, at any mm -hmm. rate, I saw pretty cynical, but, but maybe fairly, fairly uh, fair take that, you know, maybe McSally uh, also would have would have oh. been joining the race to the bottom and, and decrying election results if it weren't for the fact that she has the chance of now just being appointed to Arizona's other. You're right, <laughs> Andrew. I forgot that I had shared that theory that basically John Kyle, who is filling in uh, John McCain's seat since his death, 
um, has not committed to staying in that seat past this current Congress. And so it, it's been like wild, widely speculated that McSally could end up in the Senate, even though she lost um, being appointed to that seat when Kyle uh, steps down at the end of the year and staying there until the special election in 2020. Hmm. Uh, well, coming up, uh, I have a, a piece up on the Weekly Standard website, which is a, a complete political fantasy. I just want to you know, acknowledge it's complete fan fiction, political fantasy. But before we get to that, the Daily Standard podcast is brought to you today by ExpressVPN. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where your data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked. That's not paranoia. That's just a reality. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, they often sell it to other companies who want to profit from your information, which is why I decided, and a lot of our listeners have decided, to take back their privacy by using ExpressVPN. It's an easy-to-use app that runs seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN provide, you know, takes only one click to provide you protection. And what it does is it secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month, and it is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you ever use public Wi-Fi and you want to keep trackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is the solution. You can start protecting your online activity today, and you can find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash standard. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash standard for three months free with a one-year package. Again, visit expressvpn.com slash standard to learn more. Um as I mentioned before, I have some uh, a fantasy a work of fantasy up on the uh, uh, Weekly Standard website. I think there's no question about it. In the wake of the midterm elections, the Republican Party has become even Trumpier than it was before. But now that we turn to 2020, I started thinking about uh, will there be a Republican challenger to uh, to Donald Trump in the uh, in the in the primaries? And every time I'm asked that question, I said, yeah, I, I don't know. They it's a long it, it's more than a long shot. I, I, I don't have a lot of uh, optimism about all that. I'm under no illusions about the way the Republican electorate has rallied around. But I have been thinking about it, particularly after that poll suggested that a substantial number or at least a substantial minority of Republicans were looking for another candidate. So what I did over the weekend was I. I basically wrote a draft of an announcement speech, and I, I call it a speech in search of a candidate. And it's a, it is a fantasy, <laughs> it's a fantasy speech given by a candidate. The, the first line is, "Good morning, my name is TBD. <laughs> I'm here to announce my candidacy for the Republican nomination." Dateline to Nashua, uh, New New Hampshire. So, sort of just a you know, try it on, see what it would sound like. What would a conservative Republican say? What would it sound like? to go after Donald Trump with Republican values. I mean, we know what the Democrats are going to say. So it's my free gift. Um, anybody, you know, that wants to take it, use it, steal it, I, I, I offer it up freely. I'm talking about you, Ben Sass, talking about you, Jeff Flake. <laughs> Hope John's Kasich does something else, but, you know. Um, <laughs> 
and the the other the other we hope point John Kasich is very happy pursuing something equally fulfilling that is not running for president in 2020. That 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 could be. Um, I doubt it though. And also, I, I, one line I, I didn't put in the draft was that this could be used by somebody who will say, listen, I'm going to try this, and if a more viable candidate comes along, hey, it's not about me. I am willing to step aside. You know, I'm willing to be a placeholder here, you know, just to be the home for people who want an alternative in the Republican Party so that you don't have to go, you know, with Alexandria Ocasio, you know, Cortez politics uh, in order to be opposed to <laughs> Donald Trump. There's a home there. So I don't know. We'll see whether anybody uh, takes it. But uh, I, I, I wish I wish I shared the optimism of uh, of Bill Crystal about all this, but what the hell? You might as well give it a shot, so people can see this. You know how to make America good again by challenging Trump. That was my my offer for you know saying, look, Donald Trump is not going to make us great by insulting, bluster, lying, or tweeting, and it's time to make America good again. So we'll throw this on the uh, on the candidates for footnotes of history. Charlie, can I <laughs> can I ask you a quick question? Sure. Do you think that it has gotten less likely or more likely that there will be a primary challenger to Trump in 2020 over the past year or so? Boy, that's a really tar- that's a hard question. I would say less I, likely. You you would say less likely? Just because in the so I've covered Congress for 2 years mm-hmm. and the first year it was, you know, people were very aware of the shortcomings of this president and You know, behind closed doors, it was always this conversation between Republican members like this is horrible. This is a nightmare. Um, And and they weren't that familiar or comfortable with the president at that point. Um, And in the past year or so, you know, when they got into gear trying to pass this tax law and, you know, Donald Trump sort of took a hands off approach, um, they started to work together a little bit more in Congress and the White House and getting along in the sense that. Members of Congress sort of ignored the bad news more and were, were able to come to sort of a more productive uh, partnership on that. And, and so I think it's a lot less likely now because you don't have as many members, you know, for them, this is like the norm. So when he does a tweet now, we all just sort of look at it and move on. Um, back in the day, it was like massive. It was a huge deal if he said something ridiculous. And now it's just like, this is just how he operates. And right. It's I, like it's like. It's like if you're if you're trying to like if you're like in the Senate subway or something like that and you're trying to get a quote on the latest crazy Trump tweet, it's it's exhausting. It'll just look at you like like why why are you wasting my time with this? Yeah, know he did another tweet. Like who cares that he did another tweet? Yeah, (laughs) no one will remember this a week from today. So yeah, I I think I agree with that, Haley. Yeah, uh, on, on the whole. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with that. On the other hand, I think it's also just more important to have you know some. Some at least somebody raise the flag and say, you know, we're not all going along with all of this, um, at least in places like like New Hampshire, because, you know, I I, I declared I've said I'm, I'm a political orphan and I, and I actually feel more orphaned today than I did, you know, a, a year ago, because mm-hmm. they're, they're they're really, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be voting for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I'm not going to be supporting, you know, as the, as the Democratic Party makes it clear that it's not necessarily going to be reaching out to people like me. Of course, you know, there were some moderates that did a reasonable job of getting some disaffected uh, Republicans. So that's up there. So, Haley, I want to get your sense of what's going on over in the House of Representatives. Um, I see here that uh, what uh, 16 uh, Democrats have signed a letter opposing Nancy Pelosi's uh, reelection as speaker. But uh, Marsha Fudge, um, very, very unclear what she's planning to do. 
Yes. Uh, there does seem to be, you know, bird, you know, the bubbling up any Pelosi sentiment, but no candidate to take her along, which would stri- just strikes me as a disadvantage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you need like a strong contender if you want to take down Pelosi. Um, and already you have Democrats sort of uncomfortable supporting Fudge because of some of her positions in the past on LGBTQ issues. Um, so it, it's interesting to see, you know, if their desire for a different speaker, if it's so the way it's been described in a lot of like reporting on this is that this is sort of a challenge from the right. And if you saw uh, President Barack Obama, former President Barack Obama's um, statement about this when he endorsed uh, Pelosi, he was basically saying, don't let these people bring our conference further to the right. We don't want to be more conservative. And so it's Mm. sort of boiling down to this, you know, debate leading into 2020 about what they want the party to be. Um, do you want it to be someone who appeals to the voters that Donald Trump won over in 2016 in the, you know, in the rural areas, the white disenfranchised people who are tired of their coal jobs being taken away? Or do you want it to appeal to uh, minority voters? And, you know, there's there's some leaders in the Democratic Party who say, why not both? Um, but this debate, I think, you know, will be interesting in determining that. And uh, just sort of determining the trajectory of the party uh, leading into that election, for sure. Yeah, I I think that's a that's a that's a fair analysis as well. Uh, Meanwhile, um, we're not going to get to the Mueller investigation today because I feel like I've got plenty of time to talk about all of that. Um, Over the weekend, we had uh, the report from The Washington Post. I want to emphasize that it's a report. Um, you know, their, their, their news story that the CIA has concluded that, uh, the crown prince, uh, Mohammed, uh, bin Salam, uh, Salman, just Salman, um, was behind the killing of, uh, the Washington Post, uh, jur- journalist. Um, and the president seems to be increasingly reluctant to accept, um, that MSB's, that MBS's, I'm going to get this right. What is sooner or later? <laughs> NBS is uh, um, about his involvement and keeps stressing um, what a great ally Saudi Arabia was and what great business deals he's he's cut on all of that. Um, so, what does happen if, in fact, this report is true and that the CIA has, in fact, concluded that uh, the, the the Crown Prince is directly involved in this murder of Jamal Khashoggi? What, what, sanctions. What, what? Hmm? Sanctions. Yep. Yeah, but will will Trump budge on all so of this? Or will we, oh, we just go through this kabuki dance of sort of saying, yes, we're going to take it seriously. We're going to sanction other people. We're going to watch them, you know, execute some of the guys that they're throwing under the bus. But but ultimately nothing happens and, yeah. and the crown prince gets away with it. So, so he has this history, the president does, where if there's something that's politically inconvenient that the intelligence community has concluded with high confidence, say... 2016 and the fact that Russia had an influence campaign in our election. He is perfectly comfortable rejecting that and opening up the possibility that anything could have happened. Um, And you've seen him do this. I think a couple days ago, he said, you know, we're never really going to know if MBS was involved. Um, When, you know, there, there is a way to tell if he was, and there's the intelligence community has reasons to believe that he was involved and you can't just ignore those reasons just because it's politically inconvenient. But that seems the trajectory that the White House is headed down right now. Um, and so this sort of fight has exploded. Like the leak to the Washington Post probably wouldn't have taken place if those people at the CIA were confident that the White House would handle this in the way that it 
you know, should be handled uh, when they got that intelligence. But so so it's sort of like this ongoing feud between, you know, John Bolton and the intelligence community officials who are actually presenting this intelligence. And so it'll be interesting to see if they can be swayed on this at all. And you, you saw Bob Corker come out and say, um, we should take action before they execute these people they've blamed. Um, and he, he and others like Lindsey Graham have said, you know, it's almost mm-hmm. certain that MBS was involved. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the president does on this. Let me offer a, a, an uncharacteristic possible rationalization defense of the president here, which is that, uh, look, previous presidents have all, all previous presidents, with perhaps the, the exception of Jimmy Carter, have looked the other way about things that our allies have done. We have been allied with people with horrible records of human rights for a very, very long time. And the only real difference with Donald Trump is that he's being at least more transparent about it. He's just being more, hey, yeah, absolutely. You know, they're worth a lot of money. We're important. We're not going to throw them under the bus simply because they murder journalists. Is 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 it is this a new policy or is it just simply more in the open? I would agree that it's very in the open. And, you know, we've we've made moral equivocations in the past. Yeah. Uh, we deal with China, even though they're horrible on human rights. Um, so it, it's not a new thing to sort of make sacrifices in uh, pursuing foreign policy. But you shouldn't ignore the truth, especially when Donald Trump himself has called this the worst cover up ever. I mean, they brought a bone saw to the embassy. <laughs> Why would you bring that if you're just trying to kidnap him? Why would you bring that if he's just going there safely to get his wedding papers? So it, it has been like this very, Taylor, very... you never know when a bone saw is just going to come in handy. <laughs> you should I, I, always I found that bring to be true saw. in my life. I don't know uh, whether <laughs> Saudi intelligence officials have, uh, you know, had similar experiences in the past. Maybe it's a Saudi Boy Scout thing. You know, it's like, you know, you have a, you have a Swiss army knife oh, just, just to be horrible. prepared, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just, oh, my goodness. You just sort it, of pack it, pack it because, you know, you just, you know, things come up. If I could, if I could, uh, maybe veer away from this horrible can of worms that I myself just opened, um, to to make one um, uh, ancillary point to what to what you and Haley have just been have just been saying, which is that I I do think that it's possible to over or to, to to place um, too much import on uh, what what are essentially just reflexive stylistic uh, rhetorical moves from Trump, like. Anytime MBS comes up in conversation, anytime Vladimir Putin comes up in conversation or Recep Erdogan comes up in conversation, whoever, you know, these these leaders that Trump likes, these leaders that Trump wants to like him, you know, he's always going to say the same sort of stock phrases about them, which is that, you know, like, well, you know, like they're they're strong leaders. We don't really know whether these things uh, that 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 have been done that are bad. We don't know for sure that it's them. It's 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 almost stock phrases coming from him about these leaders. That being said, in times of sort of great uh, pressure on the White House to do something, uh, which, which, like Haley was saying, clearly the, the CIA is, is, is right now pressuring Trump uh, to, 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 to implement these sanctions. Uh, they've, we, uh, Congress, re- Republican members of the Senate, uh, especially the, the Hawks in the Senate are doing the same, saying we, this, this cannot go unpunished, these sorts of things. We have seen Trump in the past go straight from making these kinds, th- these, for, go straight from saying these kinds of things that make it sound as though he's not, he's going to resist that, that make it sound as though he's not going mm-hmm. to allow those sorts of sanctions to go through. We've, we've, we've oftentimes seen, uh, seen those 
the, the White House be willing to sign off on those kinds of things in the end anyway. So I, I don't That's think true. we should necessarily take his comments yesterday as as a you know danger zone uh, with the, the, the sods might get away with this sort of thing. And, and the other thing is, if I could just make one other quick point on this, um, I think that the fact that Trump is constantly harping on the, that one particular weapons deal um, also sort of bodes well for the fact that we could have broader sanctions. I mean, I, I do think he's going to continue to push back uh, against you know, t- having that particular deal that his administration made with the Saudis taken off the table. But as we've, as we all know, like that, that, that is a pretty small amount of, I mean, just like a few, I believe a couple percentage points of sort of our trade relationships with uh, Saudi Arabia. So I do think that, that you know, th- there's, there's wide leeway for the Trump administration to make some kind of significant move, even with, you know, Trump's pet weapons deal with them being off the table. I believe hmm. that's the case. So last week we found out the surprising news that, that Andrew had cut the head off of a chicken. So I, I, I should always be careful about what I ask. It. Have, have either of you ever been to Finland? No. Never. I'm, I'm just a little you know, interested now that apparently Finland has so much in common with California that, that maybe I had to put it on my bucket list. Just not sure. <laughs> uh, you, you lost me there. I, I, didn't, I didn't pick up what you were laying down. Yes. Oh, that's just bad. <laughs> okay, so Haley, what else are you watching in 